You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. But this is a lesson that I learned, and it goes along with this story, so I'm going to have to really fly through this to get us there. Um, So this has even been a greater, even deeper study for me than before, but because I, I'll often use this story as well in counseling, this example, to say, just understand this, okay? And I hope it'll serve God's purpose in your life as well today. Um, because it's this deal of, have you ever, and it's, I know you have, okay? So it's kind of one of those questions of, I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Um, if, even if you don't believe in God, you've probably tried this, because you're like, well, if there is a God, I'm going to try this, Okay? Um, so it's kind of a trick question, but have you ever said, God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that, right? Just try to deal with him, right? Anyone besides me want to admit that? Because I've done it. That's my story at the end, okay? By the end of the day, we're going to address that type of approach to God, but first we have to get all this background stuff in the story to get there, okay? Because we're going to follow a story in Judges is where we are again, this is after Gideon. We did two parts on Gideon last week. Remember, we're following Hebrews 11, the heroes of the faith, and, and Hebrews 11 where it talks about all those guys from the Old Testament. And by faith, they were obedient to God and did this and saw him do miraculous things. And today is another one of those stories, and we're going to be talking about this guy named Jephthah. Okay? Okay. So you all have got that posted out there to scare somebody to death, and when I say bring it in, you'll, you guys will scare everybody else. Okay, that's good. Okay. Um, now everybody's going to go to the bathroom. Nobody can go to the bathroom, okay? It's forbidden, okay? But this is an odd story of sacrifice this morning. Very very odd, supposed odd story of sacrifice, but I've kind of seen some new things that I'm going to talk to you about that me and my wife have argued about already this week. But, but what we will see today is someone with amazing faith in God, regardless of what had happened to them and what their family had done, but what God can do and through this amazing faith and dedication to being faithful to God, um, even after being rejected by his own family, rejected by his own people, um, and cast out, uh, we'll see what happened with him as he is listed as one of these heroes of the faith um, of the Old Testament. He's, he's given this, I call it an honorable mention because it's not like one of those that goes, Abraham, by faith, did this, 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 and this, and because of all this, and this is why. It's just kind of, you know, if we had time, it says at the end of Hebrews, I could go on about David and Samson and, and all the, Jephthah and all these other guys. And so uh, this is just one of those honorable mention guys, but he's there. Now, the thing to remember as we go through this, because there's a lot of similarities and parallels, is that the whole entire Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, both, right, is, has one really strong theme to it. There's a thread that runs through it, and it's all, every bit of it, about Jesus. That's the theme. The thread of Scripture is Jesus. And so, as we read this, there are parallels and themes that reflect Jesus and kind of point towards what's coming. And these are people of the Old Testament who looked forward in faith to the Messiah that was to come as New Testament looks back at the cross of the Messiah who did come and died for our sins. And this is after Gideon. And if you remember our story from last week, just like Gideon, here you know everything's going good. They they get fat and happy and and get all uh, enjoying life, and well, we just don't really need God anymore, and they start embracing these other idols and gods, and 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 then God's judgment comes on them, and he just holds back his protection and lets their enemies all come in and, and attack them and take over and put them in oppression for years, and they all of a sudden go, oh God, we're so sorry, we need you, please deliver us. He comes in and delivers them, and everything's good, protects them, and, here, and it's that cycle over and over and over and so we just went through Gideon, but here they've already, just in a couple chapters, already gone back to the same old thing. And they've gotten all enjoying things and, and 
they've drifted, got comfortable having it so good. They don't think they need God anymore. We're protected. We're fine. And they start doing evil in the eyes of the Lord, as Scripture will say, toying with their idols. And here comes judgment and the enemies to overcome them again. And the cycle of peace, getting happy with God's protection and provision, take for granted His blessing. And, and it's just all over again, over again, over again. And basically in this one, what we're going to see is a difference because God in this one does something a little different. He's, he finally gets to the point where he goes, you know, you guys just aren't going to learn. So this time, you're just going to have to reap what, you sow, what you've sown. And he kind of steps back for a moment. And it seems like they would learn after several cycles, but you think we would learn after several cycles too, right? Because we have a tendency to do the exact same thing. You know, it's insanity, people say, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. And I put out this tweet this week that came from that, me sitting thinking about it. I, just to go further, even if you do different, the real goal that God has is not to change things around you, but to change you. And so God's goal right now is to change you. That's this time we're in. One day we'll be in heaven. We'll be uh, new resurrected bodies. We'll have, all that will be, be set right. But right now in a cursed world, we're not perfect, never will be here, but God's trying to make us more and more like His Son, Jesus. That's the goal. So I think insanity, the definition, really should be doing the same thing over and over again, expecting the world to change while we just remain the same. That's what, that's what we, isn't that what we try to do? We keep trying to change everything around us, and I'm not changing, I'm staying the same, and and especially the older we get, the more ingrained we get on, I'm just who I am, there ain't no change in me now. So I'm, you know, and all that stubbornness and all that stuff as though we can't get better in our old age, but we expect all these younger people to get better. And, and so it, it's a thing of God's goal is to make us more and more like Christ right up until the day we're done and we leave this tent of a body and go to be with Him. That's His goal. And so expecting the world to change we know the Bible says it's going to get worse. The only thing that can get better is us because of Christ in us. And we learn to deal with that and have peace, have the fruit of the Spirit in the midst of all that. Okay? So let's get into the story because I'm going to try to go fast. Fast for me. Okay? Judges 10, we'll start in verse 6. It says, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. You know, we just came through Gideon. There's a couple other people. Remember, there's no kings at this time. That's coming in the chapters ahead. We're in this time of what they call judges, just people that would rule over the, really what they call them, the head of the nation. But they weren't really in a king system and called a king. They were just people who kind of mediated over the over the nation. And the sons of Israel did again did evil in the sight of the Lord, served the Baals and the Asheroth, the gods of Aram, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods and the sons of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines. Thus they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and He sold them into the hands of the Philistines and into the hands of the sons of Ammon. Okay? And so, to the south, uh, kind of west and south is the Philistines. You know, they had to come through them to get there. We've seen this before. They're going to have to deal with them again with David, right? There's all, There's... Because remember, the deal is, is they didn't take care of things the way they should have the first time when they came in and God told them, wipe out everybody. They didn't. So here comes their problems back again. And that's why all this keeps happening. And so, um, you know, if you read on in Judges and get to Samson, which Preston Ford covered three weeks ago, you see Samson delivers them from the Philistines. But here in the northern part is the oppression from the sons of Ammon. And I've got a map for you. I don't know if you can see this. And I don't have my little red pointer thing. But you say it says Philistia. So over there and around this bottom part is the Philistines. You see Moab right here is going to come into this story. Is over here. If you can see the Dead Sea up to the Sea of Galilee, the Jordan River is between it. Okay. So a lot of the story we're going to talk about today is east of the river. Okay. All that green area is kind of area that, that the Israelites have taken is their settle. It's the settlement at this time during this time period. You see Ammon is over here, so it's going to be the Amorites that we're going to talk about today. The Amorites and the Moabites are coming in from the east across the river. They've already taken this whole right side of the river, the Jordan River today. 
is what's our, is what's happened. And, and so they're starting to invade into the other territory and the Israelites are freaking out like, what are we going to do? Okay. And so that gives you an idea of where these people are and what's going on. And a lot of this will take place. Um, you got Mizpah is kind of in the center of this right green area where some meetings will happen. Uh, Jephthah becomes their leader and he's way up in the far right in the city called Tob. I'll, I'll understand. I'll help you understand why he's there. But he comes back in towards the, the Jordan River and pushes them back out and defeats them. Okay. And so that's, that kind of gives you a picture. And, and this is very important. Okay. All of this is very important. Right up to today and why the Middle East is the way it is. And we're going to touch a little of that. And I know that gets pushes some of you guys buttons because what it, what it explains to us is that this is all historical. The Bible is real. It's a history book of sorts, okay? It's a divinely inspired history book that just, and all this stuff really happened and it's why the Middle East is the way it is today. And those people are still there arguing over the same land. That's the whole problem, okay? So when you read this, you can look to today and go, oh, that's why it's a big deal that Trump reopened that embassy in Israel. And why, why that's, why that happened and why what that means to all these people and why some are mad and some are glad and some don't care, whatever it is, okay? So so that kind of gives you what's going on here. Um, and you can leave that up there as much as you want. We'll get to the second map here in just a moment. But it can be confusing um, because you got the the sons of Ammon, the Ammonites, northern part, over here to the right, kind of up, they're up to the top, and you've got the bottom here where the Moabites come in. Um, but but it can be confusing because there's the Amorites. Okay, it's two different people: Ammonites, Amorites. Okay, the sons of Moab, the Moabites, and the Ammonites, son of Ammon, are from across the Jordan to the east, and they are both tribes that came from the same father, the Ammonites and Moabites. Okay, came from the same father back in Genesis. The father of Ammon and Moab was who? Anybody know? In Genesis? I couldn't hear you, sorry. Guess? No, not Cain. Okay, it was, they're the sons of Lot. Okay? You know, when they separated and took two different areas. And so you've got Ammon and Moab. They set, because Abraham and Lot separated. They settled over here. This is their sons. And so these guys that are attacking the Israelites are like distant cousins of the Israelites. Okay? So it's like, okay, that's weird. But there's a lot of hatred, a lot of animosity and conflict between the distant cousins. Again, because it's all about whose land is it, and you can go back to the story of Abraham and Lot and how that happened and what happened since then, okay? There's all this division in the Middle East, and it's all about whose land is it, because you can get into Abraham and Lot, you can get into Isaac and Ishmael, and what happened with Jacob and, and Esau, and there's all these divisions that cause everybody to go, no, it's ours, no, it's ours, no, we're it, no, we're it, okay? And it's, and it's, all, it's what all that is, okay? Verse 8, Judges chapter 10, verse 8. They afflicted and crushed the sons of Israel that year. For 18 years they afflicted. 18 years. Okay? Okay? Chandler, how old are you? 17. Okay, so almost 18. So it's like being oppressed for all her life. Okay? Wouldn't that be crazy? Your, your entire life, 18 years, and have start, imagine growing up there. Okay? Thank you, God, for being born here in this time, right? And have started crossing the Jordan and attacking various places on the west side. Um, it, it's as you read here, it talks about that. For eighteen years, they afflicted all the sons of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in Gilead, which we'll talk about the Gileadites and who they are, and that's where Jephthah comes in. In the land of the Amorites, the sons of Ammon crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah, Benjamin, the house of Ephraim. And that Israel, and so that Israel was greatly distressed. Okay, so they have taken and are oppressing the Israelites on that east side, and have started invading into the 
they, they're attacking Judah, Benjamin, um, house of Ephraim. So you got like the three strongest tribes at that time are like, oh no, they're coming after us now. Yeah, it's time to do something, right? And it says, then the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord saying, verse 10, we have sinned against you for indeed we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. The Lord said to the sons of Israel, did I not deliver you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the sons of Ammon and the Philistines? You, you get what he said? He goes, haven't we been here before? Haven't I done this before? Like, when are you going to learn? Like, like I keep doing this for you and you keep going right back to the same things, sowing the same things that get you there again, right? Why do you all, you, you, you always go back against me after I deliver you? Okay. And he goes on through these people, all, all this, uh, the Amalekites and all these people that I've delivered you from before. I've delivered you from your hands. You cried out to me then, and now you're doing it again. Which shows, because some people have this impression that God of the Old Testament, he's so cruel and mean and goes and wipes out people and the, the Old Testament is so bloody and he's just like, why is he so, it's like this angry God. No, he's not. God, if you really read the Old Testament, is so merciful, so patient. I mean, even with the Canaanites that he told them to go wipe out, they were into, we'll talk about it in a minute, they were into child sacrifice and all this stuff and he was so patient and gave them so many chances, Okay. God is so loving and patient, but just can't let sin go on and on and on and on and people just do whatever, right? It's not good for us. And He is holy and, and, and He can't have that either, okay? So eventually it's, they have to do something about it. But He's so patient. It says, verse 13, You have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will no longer deliver you. Whoa. Did you hear what He just said? He says, go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you from your time of distress. Hey, you know, you're not worshiping me. You're not serving me. You're serving them. And now you want me to deliver you from them? Why don't you go ask them to do that? And, and God basically steps back and goes, okay, you're not learning. And you're not getting the point. So it's time for some tough love. Okay? You'll just have to keep reaping what you've been sowing. That's all I can tell you. I'm not going to help you this time. That's tough, isn't it? Who wants to hear that from God? Not me, right? I'm not signing up for that one, but does that make anybody nervous? I mean, if you believe in God, you're following Him, and you go, man, I might just keep doing the same thing over and over, and finally God might look at me and go, hey, I'm just going to let you suffer for this one. You're just going to have to pay for this one. That God might back up to you and say, just like He did... Uh, and it may not be anything you've done. There's times uh, Hezekiah, and in, in Hezekiah, God looks at him. He had things great. Everything was good. And it says, and then God withdrew his spirit from Hezekiah to test him. It's kind of the same thing as Job. Hey, when things are good, things are good. But will you still worship me when things aren't good? When you don't feel that close to me? Or will you continue to follow what you know is right? But in this case, they've done wrong over and over and over. And he says, you know what? There's only I'm going to have to do something different to get you to learn. So I'm not going to help you this time. You know, as parents, sometimes we have to do this. When you have a prodigal, rebellious child, there are times, you know, what we like to try to do is just kind of overlook their problems, the sin, and just love them and give them grace and and I'm just I'm gonna be that one there for him that just loves them and helps them through it and and just still gives to them and is generous and keeps going and it'll be all grace and help that I'm the only person that can that that's gonna help them. Nobody else is gonna help them if I don't. So I just need to keep helping them to show them I love them. Right? That's that's what we get in our heads. So we just keep giving to them or doing whatever it is they want. And sometimes people will do that because they don't want to really deal with the kid's problem. I'll, I'll just keep giving and being generous and doing what I'm doing because I, I really don't want to dig in and do the hard stuff that it takes to really deal with the problem. I'll just give it stuff to them and pretend like it doesn't exist and just try to make things keep going like they are and keep my relationship good with them and you're not really helping them. 
And God says this time, and maybe it's sometimes we have to do this, you, you know, I've been bailing you out and bailing you out and time and time and time again and delivering you, and it hasn't helped you. So it's time to do th- something different. I'm not helping you. You'll just have to reap what you've sown this time because that's a biblical principle. We reap what we sow. And that's tough to do as parents, and it's hard to receive as children, okay? Dad isn't going to rescue me anymore. I love it when Dad rescues me. I'm all for it, okay? But when it's somebody else, we don't, you know, we're okay. You don't have to do that. But even when Dad doesn't bail out his kids, it's nice to see that little sparkle, a little twinkle in the eye that just still says I love you, that even when we don't bail them out, we remember, we can't do it out of anger. If we don't do what we do out of love, and there's still love there, it means nothing. The Scripture would tell us. We're just making a bunch of noise. There always has to be that love there. But we sometimes have to look at them and say, it just has to be this way because obviously the only way you're going to learn is the hard way. And I hate it for you. I'm going to hurt while you go through it. But that's the way it has to be this time. So sometimes we have to step back and let them reap what they've sown, but by doing it in a way that gives them a sense of compassion and and caring and love. Do it in love, not anger. It's pointless without love. Okay? So that's that's just that's kind of where God's at. Okay, I'm going to have to let them suffer in order to learn. Okay, Judges 10, verse 15. It says, The sons of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do, do to us what seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And he could bear the misery of Israel no longer. Notice they did what they did without a promise from God that he would deliver them. Okay, he said, I'm not delivering you. And they turn around and immediately say, well, we're going to serve you anyway. Okay? Without any promise of delivery, with God saying no, they decided to turn back to the Lord anyway. They, they figured out, okay, God's, what God just did worked. They figured out, hey, it's true. What you reap, what you sow is what you're going to reap. So even if God won't deliver us right now this time, we better start sowing the right stuff. If one day after this we want to reap the right stuff, okay? We want to we want to reap differently. We've got to start sowing differently. Our circumstances better may not change, but we sure better change what we're doing. Is how they they figure it out and they start submitting to God and serving Him regardless of what seemed right to God. They learn they have to do right regardless of the promises, simply because it's the right thing to do. God, you mean I'm going to reap what I sow? He says, yeah. You aren't going to fix this, God? No. Well, then I better start sowing the right stuff. Verse 17. The sons of Ammon were summoned and they camped in Gilead and the sons of Israel gathered together and camped at Mizpah. You saw that on the map. I pointed that out. Okay. So Ammon and his folks camped out at Gilead and that city. They're, they're getting close to each other. They've been going to they've been having these attacks and all these things going on for 18 years so one gathers in one place one gathers in another having these meetings and the people the leaders of Gilead said to one another who is the man who will begin to fight against the sons of Ammon he shall become head over all the inhabitants inhabitants of Gilead okay so who do they end up deciding on to be that person what's this guy named Jephthah okay so now we get introduced to Jephthah in Judges 11, verse 1. Okay, Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, okay, that's because his dad is Gilead. Okay, That's why they're called Gileadites. That's why, who these people are that's in this area. Okay, He was a valiant warrior. Remember what we talked about with Gideon? Found him in the wine press. He was hiding and a coward, but God called him a valiant warrior because God comes to you and points out, this is who I see you as and who you will become and who I want you to be. Not here's who you've been and what you're doing hiding there. But he says, this is who you're going to be. Now come follow me and we can change all that where you're at. Whereas the devil comes to you and says, this is who you are. Look at you hiding and what you've done in the past. You'll never be that. Okay? And he was a valiant warrior, but he was the son of a harlot. Okay? And Gilead was the father of Jephthah. 
Gilead's wife bore him many bore him sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall not have an inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. And worthless fellows gathered themselves about Jephthah, and they went out with him. He's got the A team going on, okay? When the, you have to have, know the 80s and the, never mind, okay? When the boys grew up, okay, that were the real sons of mom, okay, of, Jeph- of Gilead's wife, when those guys grew up, they finally got, we're adults, we're, we're, we're the ones getting the blessing from dad. You're not getting anything of what this household is. And they just just went after after Jephthah until they drove him out of the house and he takes off to the land of Tob. But you look at the second map, you'll see where that is if, I, if you can see it. I don't know if you can see it or not, but above the commentary right here, up there, there's a red dot and it says T-O-B, okay? And then you can see here's Ammon, there's the Jordan River. So he goes way up out of the corner of the land of Gilead, okay? Up to this place called Tob, way up past even where the enemies are, okay? So he's like, get out of town, leave all that behind, I'm gone. Um, and and that's that's where he goes. Um, rejected, he's a valiant warrior, okay? Seen by the people as a nobody and rejected because of who his mother was. His own people disown him. And so his people... Living in oppression on the east side of the Jordan disowns him. Okay, you're starting to see some parallels here because there's that thread of Jesus through this. Okay, and he goes up and lives far away, and some some other disowned, rejected guys start to gather around him because he's a valiant warrior. They're like, this dude's pretty cool, and they start to gather around him. This valiant warrior. It doesn't mean just like it doesn't mean about. Jephthah, it doesn't mean that these guys were bad guys or they're, they're some kind of terrible people. It just What it's talking about is these are other rejects of society. It's just society saw them that way. It doesn't mean that's what they really were. You follow me? Okay? Sound like my dad just then. You follow me? Okay? They were seen as worthless by their society or other people. You... Who else was seen that way? Jesus himself was rejected by his own people, right? His own hometown rejected him. Having been conceived before marriage, you think there's people that thought the same thing about Jesus? That they looked at Mary and said, she's not even married yet and she's pregnant? So, Jesus must be an illegitimate child too, right? That's what people would think, not understanding the whole Holy Spirit. I mean, you can imagine how hard that would be to, to accept and grasp. So I'm sure there were people in the town that talked and when she was pregnant before she got married, yeah, the Holy Spirit got her pregnant. You know, like, yeah, right. Okay. So so similarities there, what's been going on. But we we understand from Scripture she it was the Holy Spirit and that's how He's this, the Son of God and the Son of Man being born through Mary. But people can accept that and just, just think that about Him. And Jesus too was rejected by His own people. Judges 11, verse 4. It came about after a while that the sons of Ammon fought against Israel. When the sons of Ammon fought against Israel, the elders of Gilead went out to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. And they said to Jephthah, Come and be our chief that we may fight against the sons of Ammon. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, notice they said, come be our chief. But I thought they said earlier they were looking for somebody to be the head, to be the next judge. But they probably went, well, the best warrior is Jephthah. Ooh, we don't want him. No, we don't want him to be the head. But you know what? He could probably win the battle. So they changed their deal and they come to him and go, hey, you could be the chief, which means you can be over the army. You can be like the commander of the armies. You can be our general. Okay. Then Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, "Do you not hate? Did did you not hate me and drive me from my father's house? So why have you come now when you're in trouble?" The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, "For this reason we've now returned. Here's why we've come back. 
that you may go with us and fight with the sons of Ammon and become head over all the inhabitants of Gilead. So now after he kind of pulls back, they're like, maybe we are, he's not going to do this for us unless we offer him something better. Okay? They're like, oh no. He's going to bring that up. Okay? So Jephthah says to them, if you take me back to fight against the sons of Ammon and the Lord gives them up to me, will I really become your head? Really? Are you going to do that? Okay? Pinky swear? You know? The elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, the Lord is witness between us. Surely we will do it as you have said. Then Jephthah went out with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head head and chief over them. And Jephthah spoke all his words before the Lord at Mitzvah. Mitzvah. Now they they came to him and said at first, will you lead us and fight for us, right? This chief, it's the word that means commanding officer, okay? And so Jephthah turns that back to him. We get the whole deal of what happens there. But it's Jephthah is is eventually he's made chief and head over Israel. That happens eventually. Valiant warrior rejected, and then in their time of need to be delivered and rescued, they come to him and say, "We need you now." Sound familiar? Check this out. It's exa- exactly how people approach Jesus so often. You and I do this, okay? Get in trouble. God, please rescue me. Jesus, help me. Fight my battle for me. Right? Solve this problem for me. If you would fight this battle for me, Jesus, I'll go to church every Sunday. Right? Which we're supposed to do anyway. Right? Oh, you're getting legalistic now. Okay, whatever. Just read your Bible. It's okay. Don't forsake the gathering yourselves together. We're supposed to be part of small groups. We're supposed to be a family, a body of believers. It's not about the service. It's about the church, the people, doing life together, reaching the community, serving missions. It, it's, it's us together. So you've got to be a part of us together. Okay, that's a whole other sermon. We won't go there. But it, it's the thing of off so often, if you would fight this battle for me, God, I'll, I'll, Jesus, I'll make you chief of my battles. If you'll fight this battle for me and win, I'll make you my chief problem solver. Like Jesus is real excited about that, right? I'll, Jesus, if you'll solve this one, I'll let you solve all my problems. Isn't that what they're basically saying to him? If you rescue me, anytime something else comes up, I'll make you chief over taking care of whatever comes against me. Isn't that how we approach God? You can be chief over my problems and I want you to rescue me when I need rescuing, but the rest of the time I'm going to go about my business and I'm chief over all this over here. Right? But what does Jesus say to that? No. I'm not going to rescue you and then not be head over your whole life. And that's the gospel. Not just your problems and need. I'm not interested in just being your Savior. You don't get the Savior part without me being the Lord. If I'm not Lord over it all, I'm not Lord at all. And you'll just have to fight your own battles. I'm not interested in just being your Savior, your warrior. I want to be your Lord. And without the Lord part, you don't get the saving part. Do you understand that? There's so many people that think, I walked an aisle, I prayed a prayer, got dunked, I'm a member of the church, I'm good, but I'm really still chief over all of my life, and, and I just need Jesus when I need a battle fought or a problem solved. And I'll cry out to the Lord when I need Him to do that, when my health is bad, when job, I need a job, I need whatever it is, I'll, I'll go to Him, but the rest of the time I'm just chief. It's, it's, it's not, okay, God, I need this job. Will you get me that job? Oh, I need you right now. But then later, we just do whatever we want. So Jephthah leads them, okay? And he starts out being diplomatic. We're going to skip all those verses in there because it's just a diplomatic part where he goes to them and says, hey, why are you attacking us? 
And they're like, well, because it's our land. And he's like, well, no, it's not really. Let me tell you a little history. Let me tell you about your dad and this happened and grandfather and cousins and all this happened. It's not really your land. They argue over that, okay? Same thing going on during this time in Israel, right? He tells them it never was your land. It was the Moabites. And even the Moabites trying to claim it was not legit because they tried to come against us and God said, no, it's not yours and gave it to us. And uh, then King Sihon and he tried to partner with the Amalekites and they tried to do that and we defeated them too and it didn't really happen with them, right? So we've ta- it's our land. It's been our land for 3,000 or however long years, okay? Up to this point, right? Not that point, 3,000 years, not that point. So they argue of the land, and, and Jephthah really knows his history, and they're just like, okay, he knows better. Well, let's just fight, okay? They're like, they get frustrated, and they're like, well, he's got all the answers. It's not really our land, I guess, but if we want to take it, we're just going to take it. So they, they fight. They went to battle, okay? And it's the same stuff today. And if you go back to that first map, Okay, Jewish people have been in Israel for 3,000 years, right? Okay, Persia and Babylon tried to take them. A lot of them were taken to, into to Babylon and held, made servants there and all that stuff. Rome tried to conquer them as well and, and drive out all the Jews, right? Even destroy them, destroyed the temple at one time and trying to get rid of them. Um, at, in 136 A.D., the emperor of Rome wanted to insult the Jews, okay? And one of the constant enemies of the Jews was the Philistines, okay? See, see Philistia over there on the side, okay? And as you're looking at this map, you're going to start to get this in your mind because uh, if you, Jerusalem's up there somewhere. Uh, is it not listed on this map? Okay, right there, right there it is. I'm like, I was looking at the wrong sea. I'm looking up there. It's right here. So they're, they're, uh, Jerusalem is like this. You can see how that's cut out into Jerusalem. It's like that Jerusalem seems to be the battleground of all this stuff. But at one time when Rome came in in 136 AD, he wanted to insult the, the Jews and one of their enemies was the Philistines. And so he, he would refer to them as their enemy. Okay. But in the Latin pronunciation, it was different and difficult, so it came out of the, that Roman Latin pronunciation, not as Philistines, but as Palestines or Palestines. Okay? So you've got the Palestines, the Palestinians. So he began calling this, this whole area, because he was trying to call the area as though it was their enemies trying to make fun of them. So he'd look at the Jews and go, oh, that's, that's, that's the land of the, the Palestines, the Palestinians, okay? So you can see where there starts to be some confusion on whose land it is, right? So so these, so these he began calling that area that. So you can see where, if you look today, Gaza down here on the left and that whole West Bank and the, the Palestinian problem, that's where this all comes from. It's all historical. There's a reason things are like they are today, okay? And I could... Let Ken get up here and turn him loose on prophecy, and you would all be like, "Oh my goodness!" Okay, because that's it, all playing into that. Okay, it's exactly where it's at, and and so you've got that in, in 636 Muslim conquest, and they take, Muslims come in and take Jerusalem. Okay, 1099 the Christian Crusades head in and they take Jerusalem back. You see all these people coming in and trying and claiming it as theirs. Okay. Constant fight since for Jerusalem. 1187, another Islamic group came in and conquered Jerusalem. Temples torn down. It's rebuilt all through history. That's a whole other thing. Once it's torn down again and rebuilt, and everybody go, like all it all it takes is for one crazy person with a tank or a plane over there to put a missile or a bomb or something and hit the the dome of the rock temple where all that sits today, and the world will go crazy. Because that temple coming back down again is a is a big deal. That that building, okay. It, and it, it's all biblical, okay. 1948, Israel is rebirthed as a nation, as recognized by the United Nations, right? Okay. 
And, and so, in, as though the nation of Israel is its own, its own land and so forth, okay? But it's recognized by the United Nations, but not by other Middle Eastern groups who say it's ours, Palestinians, which are now Arab people in the land of the Jews, Muslims, a conglomeration of like six other Arab groups and Muslim nations trying to destroy them. Whose land is it? You see all the confusion and what the problem is there? Right? And everybody goes, peace in the Middle East. There'll never be peace in the Middle East. Not until all this is resolved and the end times and all that happens. Okay? It just keeps getting worse and worse. It's why Iran still wants to wipe Israel off the face of the earth. It's all biblical. But then you got people going, that Bible isn't, that Bible isn't true. Do what? Go spend a couple weeks in the Middle East and tell me it's not true. Okay? Constant fight for Jerusalem. This is why it's such a big deal that President Trump... Re- when was that recently? He re- Was it a reopening or established a, the embassy there in, in Israel? Okay? That's just been a few weeks ago. Do you understand why that's such a big deal? Because it's him acknowledging Israel as a nation... And all these other groups are going, no, it's ours. And for the United States to stand with Israel is a big deal because ever, there's such a conflict over whose is it. Okay? All this revolves around the Bible. All of it revolves around Abraham and Lot and Isaac and Ishmael and all, all that conflict is biblical. True document, the Bible. Okay, And how this plays out over... Out over there is part of prophecy, but we don't have time for that. We have, we have got to get to the end of this story. Okay, so we're going to roll on. Okay? i got just a few minutes to get this all done and scare you a little bit. Okay? Judges 11, let's skip down to there, verse 29, because this is that, that weird part of the story. Okay? Now, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, so he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and he passed through Mizpah and Gilead, and from Mizpah, he, Gilead, so just talking about all these places he goes and attacks all these guys, and drives them out. Jephthah made a vow to the Lord and said, if you will indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, that's an important phrase in there that I'll just, if you notice that, because like a goat isn't going to come out and go, oh, I'm so glad you're home and give him a hug and meet him, okay? Um, so, so when you read this, you're automatically going, he's thinking person. Okay? He wasn't thinking a chicken would come out and embrace him. Okay? If you indeed give the sons of Ammon into my hand, then it shall be whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me. When I return in peace from the sons of Ammon, it shall be the Lord's. Okay? First, and we're going to break down what that is. It shall be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. So what he does here is he's playing the game deal or no deal. Okay? You're expecting the ballhead guy to come out. What's his name? Deal or don't deal guy? Howard? Howie Mandel, yeah. Expecting Howie Mandel to come out right now and go deal or no deal, right? Should Jephthah make this kind of deal with God? Should we do this kind of thing with God? And how often do we try this? Because we do this, right? God, if you'll do this, then I'll do that. God, if you give me this job, if you give me this guy, if you give me this girl, if you give me blank, if you let the Warriors, sorry Houston folks, if you let the Warriors beat the Houston Rockets, okay, then I'll do this, okay? I almost got there game before last, okay? But I just let it go. Maybe that's why they didn't win. I don't know. I'm just kidding, okay? It doesn't work that way, right? If you'll do this, then I'll serve you wholeheartedly for the rest of my life. Well, we're supposed to do that anyway, right? It's like God's going... I thought the whole Jesus dying for you on the cross already took care of that part and you're supposed to do that anyway. Like, that's the deal. That's the only deal I got going. Okay? You can't bargain with God. God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll go to church every Sunday. And that lasts for a couple of months, right? And then we go right back to whatever. So Jephthah crossed over to the sons of Ammon to fight against them and the Lord gave them into his hand. He struck them with a very great slaughter. Okay? goes on and talks about how he wins the battle. Uh, they're subdued before the sons of Israel. Jephthah, so, so he wins the battle. Got, you know, good job, right? The Lord gave him into his hand. 
I noticed something. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm getting ahead and I don't need to chase any more rabbits. When Jephthah came to his house at Mizpah, behold, his daughter was coming out to meet him with tambourines and with dancing. And she was his one and only child. Besides her, he had no son or daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and said, Alas, my daughter, you have bought, brought me very low and you are among those who trouble me. For I have given my word to the Lord and I cannot take it back. And I read into that a little bit and I went, so there's ones that trouble him and there's ones that don't. Okay, like he'd have been okay if certain ones walked out. Okay. So she said to him, my father, you have given your word to the Lord to do to me as you have said, since the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, the sons of Ammon. She said to her father, let this thing be done for me. Pay close attention to the language because this... When I got deep into this, it changed my whole view on, on what happens here. Okay? Let this thing be done for me. Let me alone two months that I may go to the mountains and weep because I'm going to die. Now it says, because of my virginity, I and my companions. Then he said, go. So he sent her away for two months and she left with her companions and wept on the mountains because she was going to die? No, because of her virginity. At the end of two months, she returned to her father, who did to her according to the vow which he had made, and she had no relations with a man. She returns, and from that point forward, no relations with a man. Okay. Thus it became a custom in Israel that the daughters of Israel went early to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite four days in the year. Now, now, let's back up before I get into what actually happened. What was Jephthah thinking when he made this deal? Okay? I mean, you read in there, he's like, "There's some. you're one of the ones that trouble me that might come out. Because obviously he was thinking somebody would come out, so I'm going, does his wife nag a lot or something? And he's like, maybe she'll come out. You know? Maybe his mother-in-law lived with him. I don't know. Okay? No references to my life whatsoever. Okay? This is, I'm talking about, because I have a wonderful wife, and yes, my mother-in-law lives with me, but it's all good, okay? It's all good. Um, but I don't know what he's thinking, because he, he's, he's like, well, what are you thinking making this deal? But there are two questions here, and we're going to answer these as we close, okay? Did he really kill her as we assume? Because that's what's typically assumed. That's what I used to assume. That's what was presented to me and taught to me by someone. But when you get into this deeper, there's maybe there's something else. Did he really kill her? And number two, was he bound by this deal? In other words, this is the way I would ask the question. Was that what God wanted him to do? Okay? So number one, I've studied this a little deeper, and I don't think this part makes a difference really to number two, but it's significant to number two and how you answer number two. Okay? People... So now you can go off today and say, what did the preacher talk about today? Well, he talked about number one and number two, okay? So, it's what some people think about my sermons, but it's okay, okay? Some people do believe and have a compelling argument that he killed her. Sorry I chase rabbits and just say what's in my head sometimes, okay? My wife and I have begun a little argument this past week over this issue. Did he kill her? Did he not? And, and we've been rereading. It's not something that... I, She's probably studied like I have, but we've heard the story. I've presented to her forever that this is how it went, and this is the deal, and he killed her. Um, but I'm convinced, because of the clues of this passage and other places in the Bible, that he didn't kill her. That's not what happened here, okay? So you can go back to like Genesis 22, when Abraham is told by God to go up on the mountain and sacrifice his son. Okay, That would have been... Oh, Abraham, he kind of understood that because of the where he came from out of Mesopotamia. That was a common practice to these other gods of people taking their kids and sacrificing them to please these other gods. It, he, he has seen that done. It was part of where he came from. Okay, It would have been accepted. Abraham, of course, had faith in God. And you can see in reading in Hebrews 11, especially you get the clue that says he thought if I go up and do this, the God I serve and I believe in is going to raise him from the dead. He's not really asking me to necessarily, you know, to kill my son because there's promises that God has made and God's going to come through on his promises. So therefore, evidently, he's got, something's going to happen that he's going to be okay. Okay, and that's a whole other 
sermon that we've already done, okay? But Abraham, of course, had faith in God. But God stops him. And what's he do in that moment? God forever lets his people know in that moment that child sacrifice is not what he wants. Okay? And this is before Jephthah gets here. Okay? He lets them know, your willingness to obey and have faith in me is what I want. It's what I want from anyone. And then you go on into Deuteronomy and Leviticus. You can read in there. God tells His people that child sacrifice is an abomination to the Lord. Okay? So that's another reason I go, He didn't kill him. Because Jephthah knows this. Okay? Child sacrifice to these other gods was a way to earn your favor, earn the favor of that God into eternal pleasure or bliss or whatever, or being with that God, okay? It's an abomination to the Lord because it's faith in the coming Messiah and looking back at the Messiah. It's about Jesus, not about what I do to appease God because I can't. I can't pay for my sin. I can't appease God. I can't do enough to earn my salvation. So he says, that, that's not what I want. So why would God want that here with Jephthah? It was God's biggest problem with the Canaanites, okay? And told the Israelites to, to wipe them out. Child sacrifice in the Scriptures, even at this time, is condemned, and Jephthah knew that, okay? It says a burnt offering, as a burnt offering. This is something done not to gain the favor of God but get or get forgiveness of sin. A burnt offering is something you did in celebration of the fact that you've been forgiven of your sin. I've been redeemed, so I give this to God because I'm happy about the fact that I have been. Okay? It's something I do out of worship, not to get redeemed. Okay? So what comes out of my house belongs to the Lord, is what he said. I will offer her to the Lord as a burnt sacrifice, burnt offering. And so Jewish scholars, historical interpretations of this, of the, what it says there is really, if you set it out, if said this the right way, it would say offering her as if she were a burnt offering. Okay? Not going to take her back and marry her off and let her live her life here, but as though she is consumed by you, purified by fire for your service. Okay? So the other part of this issue is she's not concerned about being killed when you read this. Okay, we've already talked about that. Not her worry. She's okay with dad's deal. If, Chandler, would you be a little upset if your dad said, I'm going to kill you because I told God if, if he'd get me that new Camaro, I'd kill you. Okay, you'd be a little upset by that. I don't think you'd go off and mourn the fact that you'll never have children. Okay, you'd be a little upset about the fact you're going to lose your life. Okay, so... Time to go away and mourn her not having a husband or having children, remain a virgin. So what does this mean really? It, it, I, when you look at what's coming, what's coming? Hannah and who? Samuel. Same thing. Hannah says, God, if you do this, I'll give Samuel to, to dedicate him to you for your service in the temple. That's what you're seeing here. Okay? It, it's... She is dedicated to the service of the temple, the tabernacle. She will live there and be a servant there like Samuel. That's, that's what's happening. She'll go to Shiloh and live at the tabernacle and serve however she can serve there. Does it make sense? Okay, I think so. But there are many scholars who argue, no, it was killing her and offering her as a burnt sacrifice, literally doing that. But regardless, the issue is number two. What, was he bound by the deal? But God, did God require this of him? I'm going, you see no acknowledgement of God of the deal anywhere or even telling him he has to go through with it. He never, God never even acknowledges the deal. I look at this and it says at the very beginning of all this passage, it says the Spirit of the Lord was with him. God's already with him. God's already using him to deliver, okay? The battle was already, God was already going to give him the battle, I believe, because the Spirit of the Lord was guiding him, okay? There was no need for a deal. God was going to do what God was going to do and couldn't be manipulated into doing anything else. Okay? Here's what it comes down to. If that works, then you and I can manipulate God all day long. We can just do deal or no deal all day long and we can twist God and manipulate and change things and 
and all that say, but all that stuff. But the thing is, we can't corner God that way. He doesn't make deals. It's God's way or no way. You don't hear anything in these passages where God even acknowledges the deal. Is God upset that Jephthah gave his daughter to the temple? Probably not. Okay, if that's what happened, I don't think he's bothered by that. It was a non-issue to God. It's like, well, whatever. If you want to do that, you can do that. But great. But I'm doing this anyway. Okay. It's probably why you don't hear anything from God about it. But we can't use tricks against God. We can't do that to God. God wants us to listen for His direction, be obedient, and follow His commands, period. That's the way the relationship with God works. He wants our hearts, not our deals. Okay? Jephthah obviously had great faith in God, was not following these other gods like the rest of Israel. He comes right in following the Lord, guided by the Holy Spirit, and his faith was in what God could do, not these other gods. God had his heart, but he was just... That was one of those missteps he made, but God was like, okay, whatever. She can be dedicated to me, but that doesn't matter. But the issue becomes, does God have your heart, or are you just making deals all the time? Because deals can really mess you up. That's you trying to get what you want, not looking for what God wants. Okay? And, and there's a significance there. And I'll tell this story really quickly. I know everybody's like, man, it's time to get out of here. I've got a bologna sandwich to eat or something, okay? Um, I, I get these things of people saying, oh, it doesn't matter, preach as long as you want. Then I've got these other guys sitting over here going, come on, it's time to eat. Okay, so I understand that, okay? But here's the deal. I, I just want This played out in my life so dramatically that I just want to share this with you before we close. I, I go down to my parents' farm. They've got a couple hundred acres right down, right down here. Um, up, up against the mountain, and I hunted for nine years and never killed a thing. Okay? And that's because I'd sit out there, the most significant moments in my life of me and God and Him speaking to me other than through my wife um, is, and that's that's a true statement, okay? There's been two times. Um, one was in the planting of this church, and the other's about Amber, okay? It's between me and her, and times she has spoken that I've gone... Okay, that's God using her. Okay, my most significant moments, even in planting this church, have been sitting up on that hillside at my parents' farm, looking out over the valley of this this area, and just having my time with God and my Bible. So I'd be there with a rifle hunting, but I was reading my Bible and praying. And I would say, deers came up and were like eating at the hay bales. I'm hiding behind, and I'm just totally oblivious. Okay, so nine years I do that. So one day I go up and I decide to go up in this tree stand that's up at the very at the top of the hill and so i walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and i'm out of breath time i get to the top of the hill i get in the tree stand and i'm sitting there and this comes over me this is so stupid i've been doing this for nine years i keep coming out to this place and i've never killed a deer there's so much i could be getting done right now instead of sitting in this tree like an idiot okay so that's what's going through my mind and i get frustrated with the hunting part okay Moment of weakness. And so I, it's in, late in the evening, like it's, it's right before dark. And so I climbed down out of that tree stand and my feet hit the ground and I said it out loud. And this is where I don't advise this and just relate to the story, okay? I said, okay, God, you let a 10-pointer walk out here. Let me shoot it and kill it. Mount that dude. And I'll never hunt again. Right? So I stood there for a minute like, here it comes, here it comes, right? Nothing. So I walk down the hill, I turn, and I start heading for mom and dad's house because I'm like, okay, it's over, this ain't happening. So I'm walking and I'm walking. And I, at one point in my mind I went, okay, I may not deer hunt, but I'll still turkey hunt, okay? I start like trying to change the deal a little bit. So I'm walking and I'm walking, and I get just about, if you know my parents' farm, I get to about the crest of the hill and the pond's down below the next hill and then there's their house. And I'm thinking, there are never any, especially when I'm out here, there's, there's not going to be a deer in their backyard. So I start to deal down, right? So I go, okay, God, just an eight-pointer. Okay? No problem. And so I crest the top of that hill. I hadn't bit more got that out of my mouth 
And what happens? I see this rat go stand up and there's these horns and he's right down. I mean, he's not 50 yards from me. And I'm like, my heart just went, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, right? And he looks up at me and I look at him and we're both give each other that look like, oh yeah, it's on, right? We're about to go, okay? And he takes off to the right and to my right is this big drop off like 20, 25 feet and there's a fence in front of me. So I'm like, I'm not jumping the barbed wire fence. He takes off to the right. So I'm like, if he circles back around towards the highway, I can I can make up that ground and get around in front of him. But if he goes to the right, he's going to be gone. So I run over to that embankment. There's erosion at the top. And I I was like, I would have made a Navy SEAL happy, okay? He would have been proud of me. And I, I just jumped and I slid down on one knee and slide down that little embankment to the edge of where it drops off. And I raise my gun. And here he comes. He's going left to right, and he's about 180 yards out. And I just went, I saw him jump one, two, and I closed my eye and put it in the scope, and I saw him in the scope, and I went, boom! And that deer went and slid and fell right on the ground. Okay? And all, and I was like, the, the whole valley must have thought I was crazy, because I yelled as loud as I could. I went, you've got to be kidding me! And it like echoed through through all through Port Valley, okay, back through there. And I was like, like I was afraid to even walk out in the field and go over there. So I walk out in the field, okay, and I go over there. You want to go grab that for me? Okay. Just going to drag that dude in here, okay? So I get out there and I walk over there because I'm going, please let it be a seven. Please let it be a seven, right? Like I'm like, I'm not going to be able to ever hunt again. And I was just so, I was scared to death. This hangs in my office as a spiritual marker in my life, okay? This is him. Hey, buddy. My wife bringing my other child in, right? Okay? And what's weird is it's odd number on one side. If you count it, there's nine. I was like, okay, that's really weird. Here's the weirder part. There's this other guy that dad was at hunt on our property at that time. And if you look, his ear is sewn together right here. That's because that other guy had tried to kill this guy twice during bow season and during black powder season and had gotten so close that he made his ear bleed but never was able to kill him, okay? And I shot him on the run at about 200 yards, okay? I'll let him sit right there and look at you, okay? No, we won't. He'll fall over. Anyway, so here's the thing, Okay? So I went, I was afraid to get my gun out of my truck for like three days. Like I wouldn't even touch my gun. I was like, what do I do with that? Okay, so I call up a mentor of mine, Rocky Ramsey, and I'm like, hey, Rocky, this is what happened to me. And, and do, I, like, do I never go hunting again? And he laughs at me. I'm like, thanks, bud. Appreciate that. So what you hope for in a mentor is you get laughed at all the time because this is like the fourth time. So he he says, look, you remember the story in the Old Testament about Jephthah, and he, and he, tell, he tells me the story. And he says, he says to me, he says, so do you think God wanted him to kill his daughter? And I was like, probably not. He's like, no, he said, that was Jephthah's deal, not God's deal. He said, you just count that up as stupidity and go on with your life. God bless you, Rocky. I appreciate it. And, and that's what he tells me. And he's like, what you learn is, is you don't do that with God. He said, because think about this. You say your best moments with God and what you have with God and the moments spent out there doing what you do with the Bible and communing with God. Who wants you to quit doing that? God or the devil? So who put that deer out there? Who manipulated that? The little G God of this world or the, the God? And I was like, appreciate you confusing me even more, okay? So now I'm even more scared, okay? So I've got the devil working for me now. Is that what you're saying? You know, I'm like, I, anyway, you get all, con but I'm like, what I learned was, and yes, I do go hunting still, but, and you're like, I'm staying away from you. You're probably cursed. No, I'm not, really. It, it's just one of those things of you can't make deals with God. He doesn't work that way, okay? And this is a constant reminder to me of, I God is in charge. I just be faithful, walk in obedience, and God takes care of the results. And it's not up to me to manipulate what I want for my own pleasure 
but to bring glory to God and serve Him for His pleasure. So don't make deals. And I've never done that again. Okay? It doesn't work, and you can get yourself in trouble. Okay? So as we pray, let's close. Um, I don't know how you've been approaching God, but maybe the the faith of Jephthah is definitely a something of inspiration and something that we should learn from. But the the whole thing with making a deal, I think Jephthah learned something there too. And hopefully we will as well. Maybe for you this morning, you just need to submit yourself to God and surrender to Him wholeheartedly because all you've been doing is making deals with Him. But this morning you say, I, you know, I've been living, being Lord of my own life in so many areas, thinking I'm submitting it all to God, but really just living this deal or no deal. And so I've been Lord, really. I've been just using God for my rescue, for my needs, as some kind of butler, as some kind of servant for when I need Him some kind of magic genie in a bottle, but that doesn't work. And so today I turn to him and say, God, it's all yours. I'm yours no matter what happens in my life. You are Lord, and I'm just going to follow you. Maybe you just need to surrender to that this morning. You realize that he died on the cross in your place, making the ultimate and only deal available. Because we can't, we can't make that deal. We can't pay for that deal. Our sin was too much for us that Jesus paid for it. So maybe you just need to surrender your life to that. Maybe you just need to give your life really for the first time to Jesus. And for the rest of us, maybe we just need to learn, hey, if I'm really His, it's not about deals, it's walking in obedience and faith to glorify Him. So Father, thank You that You can teach us from Your Word. We thank You for how much You love us. Thank You, Father for salvation through Jesus. Thank you for that ultimate deal, the deal of Jesus that all this points to. May our lives point to that. May our hearts be pointed to that and may we share that to others and point them to that as well. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.